Welcome to Dig, the History Podcast. Photography has been a way for people to remember people, places, and events. We commemorate and document life through photographs and have been doing so since the 19th century. But photography has also been used to document death. Today, we're going to be discussing Victorian postmortem photography. This has received a lot of interest on the internet lately as Victorian memento mori photographs have become rather popular on certain internet sites. And although many of the pictures on these sites are in fact postmortem photographs, many are not. They're either completely fake or they're pictures of living people being passed off as postmortem photos. We're going to be discussing all this and more on this episode. I'm Elizabeth Garner Masaryk. And I'm Marissa Rhodes. And we are your historians for this episode of Dig. <laughs> So there are many reasons uh, to take postmortem photos, and we'll discuss a few of them here. One reason, and the one we'll be focusing on most today, is a simple human instinct to possess something of a loved one who's passed away, a way to mitigate death, so to speak. Now, to some modern-day people, it may seem strange to take pictures of people once they've passed away. And because there's a market for Victorian-era postmortem photography, we tend to think that Victorians were the only ones who took these kinds of photos. And so people think, oh, these weird Victorians are so melodramatic. And in some ways, yeah, they were, but, you know, we all have our quirks. Right. <laughs> so sometimes you'll hear people say things like, yeah, but Victorians were just so much more used to death, so these pictures weren't weird to them at all. And I say bullshit. Victorians mourned just as we mourn today. Just because death was more common doesn't mean that the pain and the anguish that they experienced weren't as acute as it is today. So it might surprise some people to know that people still take postmortem photos of their loved ones. Um, they are taken and they're kept in family photo albums and as personal keepsakes. The Victorians didn't display their postmortem photographs, say, on their mantle, just as people today don't display theirs on their mantle. The only reason these Victorian photos proliferate is because there is a market for them from collectors. Um, but when they were taken, they were kept as personal keepsakes and weren't openly displayed. Instead, they would be stored in a locket, perhaps with a lock of the person's hair, or framed but kept somewhere private, like a bedroom or a family room. Or they might be small so as to keep in one's pocket. And I want to say, I think that people's association with Victorians and Mourning comes from Queen Victoria, and I think like most biographers of Queen Victoria and also in um, in uh, historical novels, historical fiction, mm -hmm. she's portrayed as someone who was in mourning for most of her life mm -hmm. because Albert died, you know, 
in the prime of life or whatever. She's portrayed as somebody who lived, you know, dressed in mourning and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. had a very mournful life. And so everyone just assumes, like, all Victorian, like, all people were just sure. in this dark cloak of mourning at all times. And it's not, like, really how... Sure. I mean, they did have stricter mourning customs than we do. I mean, like, you know, say during the Civil War, like a widow would have to be in mourning for an entire year, whereas a man would only have to be in mourning for six months or three months even. Was it six or three? I'm asking Sarah right now, who's the the Civil War historian. Sorry, I, I'm pretty sure it's six months, but maybe it was three. I know it was less than. It was definitely less what, than a woman. A, yeah. Woman so, so, so a woman. I'm not exactly sure how many right. months it was, but even women, you couldn't. It wasn't like your timer went off and then you were out of mourning. You had to go through the stages. Yeah, you of, had high mourning where everything right. was black, and then you had like I can't remember the second mid mourning where it was you like could half mourning. Yeah, or something. half yeah. mourning. You could That's wear like was. dark purples and mm-hmm. lavenders and grays yeah. and stuff. So yeah. it was a, a slow process. So yes, Marissa, but. But no, you know, like we don't, I mean, there, there were definitely like stronger rituals, but you're right. I mean, I think we tend to think of them as like over melodramatic or whatever. And, and this was just kind of right and very somber yeah. and everything. But there's, I mean, as you know, I mean, I'm even thinking of Dorothea Dix. So she was a um, advocate for uh, reforming mental institutions and she wore black the rest of her life. Her husband died in the civil war. And so mm-hmm. she, she wore you know, she she wore black every day. Right, but that doesn't mean that she was, like, obsessed with macabre things or anything like that. Or that she, you know, um, was obsessed with death or anything. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not what that means. That just it means, means that there's, you know, that it was kind of her symbol of affection for right. her for her. That's dead a good husband. way to put it. Yeah, just, I wouldn't, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, so my point is that I, I think that in popular culture, we think of Victorians and we think of, you know, death, sadness, sentimentality, macabre sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you and know, the sentiment, yes, but maybe the macabre, not so much. Yeah, maybe not yeah. so much. Yeah, so there may have been uh, a stronger impulse to, to keep death in mind, um, to retain the presence of a loved one by, say, having a piece of jewelry like a watch, chain, or a bracelet made out of your uh, deceased loved one's hair. So, yes, in this way, Victorians tended to keep reminders of death on their person more so um, than we might today. Uh, today, the tendency is very much to separate ourselves from death, to keep it out of mind. Most people have not seen a dead body, let alone touch one. And yet, flip on any television channel, even the non-cable ones, and I guarantee you, within a few clicks, you'll find a true crime show um, complete with a realistic-looking dead body. So... You know, are we really all that different? We pushed at the way, and yet we pine after it in the media that we consume. <laughs> yeah, I mean, personally, I'll take the sweet sentimentality of Victorian mourning any day over over current news or cable yeah. shows, as I know you love them, but I can't stand them. <laughs> well, no, I, you're talking about, there's a difference between dramas and true crimes. Okay. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. Um. (laughs) All right. right. So even though it may seem strange to some people, these taking pictures of of deceased people, um, you know, to others nowadays, it won't seem strange at all. People still take pictures of their loved ones. Uh, My family is one of them. Um, I've read in various places that this may be a Southern thing, but I don't think that's true. Um, and I actually went down the street and asked a funeral director uh, here in Buffalo if people still take pictures at, at their funeral home. And he said, yeah, absolutely. Wow, gumshoe detective. Well, I, literally there are three funeral homes <laughs> on my street. That's depressing. <laughs> so I just popped my head in because, yeah, 
just coming in yeah. to ask. So I'm assuming that people are taking photographs of like embalmed yeah, it, like I mean, prepared corpses, prepared right? in the casket with the with the flowers all around, mm. you know. So it's it's a it's a setup. So it is like Victorian, but well, like where they're like very much. Your family didn't. Do, I mean, I have pictures of like my loved ones in caskets. Yeah, no, the, the we funeral. don't do casket. We don't do open mm. open caskets. But I was jumping in to say you said people still do this. I remember very clearly my mom and I both as my it was before my dad passed away, but when he was in his final hours taking pictures of like his hands mm, you know i didn't want to so take a sweet. picture of his face because mm-hmm. he looked so different but mm-hmm. i was like i need to remember like the contours mm-hmm. of his hands you know so Aww, i have them and i i look back at them and they kind of make me a little nauseous you know what i mean but at least i have them so yeah. i can understand the mm-hmm. the sentiment even yeah. today well i have a lot of pictures of me with my father on his deathbed right and you know he has all these like tubes and yeah. things mm-hmm. all it's not Great, but there's pictures of me like cuddling with him on his, you know, hospital bed and things like that. And I was gonna do that whether they took pictures of it or not. But mm-hmm. I, you know, it's kind of nice to look back in a gross way. Like it makes me sad. But, but I'm you, also glad that I have. Yeah, it's that. Like a touchstone, right? Yes. Even if it yes. makes you kind of like those pictures for me make me really gross, make me feel really gross, and I don't look at them ever. But but they're there if I ever need them. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah, like, mm-hmm. just in case right. I, I need. And them I think that goes back to the thing about uh, you know we see these things for sale on eBay and things like that. Mm-hmm. So we think that like oh those Victorians are so weird. They had mm-hmm. these photos and it's like no these were plastered all over mm-hmm. their wall. Yeah, they like, were commercial. They were they were private things just today right. as we have these pictures that yeah. we're just talking about. Like right, they're maybe, not on okay, our mantle. Maybe right. a more palatable under like way of understanding this. I have an example for. Um, so my friend passed away two years ago from cancer. And uh, her husband knew that we would want something of hers, like something to remember her by, just something to remind us of her. So he had um, an artist come in and make these like little, uh, I don't know, epoxy looking like gemstone things. And they he they uh, put her uh, fingerprint in them. So I have like this little kind of gemstone with her fingerprint in it. And then it has, like, a little metal thing attached to it with a heart that, like, says something, like, thank you, or, you know, something like that. So I have this special little keepsake in a box. And, you know, after it happened, I, I said thank you so much to her husband for that. And he said, well, I hope this doesn't freak you out, but she was already, she had already passed away when we took that fingerprint. And I was like, no, that's fine. You know, that's – but it's – he said that because he knew that I would – yeah, that it could be weird to some people, but yeah. I personally – you know, really liked that I have something left of of her body, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a physical. You, it's more than just the remembrance. So you have a physical thing that can help jog memories, right? Yeah. Right. And and that may seem less weird to somebody than I don't know than yeah. a photograph or sure a lock of hair, which sure. admittedly seems strange. So another reason to take post mortem pictures is to prove that yes, in fact, a person is dead. A good example of this can be taken from our previous episode about guerrilla warfare in the Civil War. We have an image of Bloody Bill Anderson on that blog post, and he's pretty obviously dead. So it was our way for authorities to show that, like, see, we got him. 
Um, they did the same recently for Osama bin Laden, although uh, they didn't release that picture to the general public, so we just have to kind of trust them on that one. But the Bush administration did release photos and videos of Saddam Hussein's hanging, as well as post-mortem pictures of his sons Uday and Kusay after they were killed by Delta Force. So again, we see the Wild Wild West pictures of dead criminals like Billy the Kid and Bloody Bill Anderson, but the practice isn't really all that foreign. A third reason for post-mortem pictures uh, is part of the death record at the coroner or the medical examiner's office. Uh, now, this is going to vary a bit by, you know, county by county and state by state. But generally, if somebody dies with, uh, without an admittance to a, a hospital within 24 hours, an autopsy is performed on that person. Uh, since that is done through the state or county level, they will take photos of the deceased as part of that medical record or medical journal. Um, so not everyone will have these photos taken, but a lot will. So back to um, our discussion of Victorian postmortem photographs. These are also referred to as memento mori. Memento mori dates back to classical times. It translates from Latin, um, remember that you have to die, which is sad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's a reflection on your mortality, basically. It can be depicted in arts, literature, whatever, and varied from the classical period to the modern era. In the 19th century, it took on a form of sentimentality. So people could commission trinkets made from the hair of their loved ones, or they might carry a locket with the photo of a deceased loved one with them. Now, we mentioned earlier that Victorians felt death as we feel today. Um, So don't forget that the Victorians weren't living that long ago. Um, So like the way I think about it, my grandmother, who I was really, really close to, died at the age of 96. Her mother was a Victorian, right? So that means like our parents or, or perhaps our grandparents were grew, grew up and were, you know, intimately familiar with people who grew up during the Victorian era. So it's, it's just kind of a reminder to, to remember that, like, the 19th century wasn't that long ago. Like, when we kind yeah. of think about, oh, those crazy Victorians and the crazy <laughs> things they did. Like, it wasn't that long ago when you think about it. Right. And I even, I do the 18th century, and I think of that with the 18th century as well. I can see some people born in the 18th century, especially later on, who died at a time when my grandmother was alive. Right. Or what, I mean, it's, yeah. like, crazy. Um, yeah. uh, I had a really old grandmother because my dad was really old. But <laughs> no, probably not everyone can say that. But yeah. you know what I'm saying? No, it's I get weird. it. I mean, my family's There's old, too. Like, like, like parent, all, the par- all the women have had their children in their 30s. Right, like, so, later yeah. on. Yeah. So, and my dad was 50 when I was born, so right. everyone's, right, like, right, old. Right. So, yeah. um, it's just, that's fascinating to me. Uh, but, of course, there were aspects that were different. Um, One thing that Victorians prized was something called the good death. And we've alluded to this in a few of our other episodes, I think particularly on our episode on the rural cemetery movement uh, with Sarah and Elizabeth. Um, Essentially, the good death was a peaceful, natural death at home. One was surrounded by family members and loved ones. Um, It wasn't violent and there was no overt suffering, just a sort of gentle slipping away from, from this world to the afterlife. Much of the ideology surrounding how this perfect death would play out had to do with the diseased tuberculosis. We also discussed this in detail in our Tuberculian Chic episode, uh, and we'll link to that episode and the, the Rural Cemetery episode in the show notes, or just search our podcast feed. Now, tuberculosis is actually a horrendous way to die, because the bacteria can, um, it creates pockets or cavities in the lungs, which can become infected with other bacteria, and that forms pockets of pus, and these damaged areas can cause bleeding. So basically, it can it 
starts to cause holes in the lungs and the airways, which understandably makes it very hard to breathe. Before antibiotics, people with TB, essentially they just wasted away, becoming pale and thin before finally dying of what was then known as consumption. The disease profoundly shaped beauty standards in the 19th century because effects of the disease actually highlighted aspects that people already found beautiful, such as being thin, having very pale skin, or having rosy lips and, che- uh, you know, and rosy cheeks due to a low-grade fever. And shiny eyes. And shiny eyes, yeah. Yeah. Um, but this wasting away was what exemplified the good death. The good death was not a public event. It was an extremely private one restricted to the closest circles of the dying person, and not all good deaths were the result of TB. That disease just happened to be the pinnacle of the good death. So if you had TB, you were, you know, you had this sort of romanticized death. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many literary depictions of the good death as well as many paintings. But since this is a podcast, we'll read you one from the 1852 novel Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Okay. You ready for a dramatic reading? Yes. The child lay panting on her pillows as one exhausted, the large clear eyes rolled up and fixed. Ah, what said those eyes that spoke so much of heaven? Earth was past, an earthly pain, but so solemn, so mysterious was the triumphant brightness of that face, that it checked even the sobs of sorrow. They pressed around her in breathless silence. Eva, said St. Clair gently, she did not hear. Oh, Eva, tell us what you see. What is it? said her father. A bright and glorious smile passed over her face, and she said, brokenly, Oh, love, joy, peace, gave one sigh, and passed from death into life. Farewell, beloved child. The bright eternal doors have closed after thee. We shall see thy sweet face no more. Oh, woe for them who watch thy entrance into heaven, when they shall wake and find only the cold gray sky of daily life, and thou gone forever. I would clap, but I'm holding my phone. Um, So a little bit melodramatic, but also you see the peace in it. Um, Eva was sick, but in that deathbed moment, she turned her eyes to heaven and peace is upon her. And she slips away, surrounded by loved ones. There are very few photos of deathbed scenes. These were mostly captured in paintings and illustrations. One very famous image of the deathbed scene is an 1858 staged picture of a girl near death in the presence of her family called Fading Away. It was created by English photographer Henry Peach Robinson. It was... Sorry. What, Peach? Henry Princess Peach Robinson? (laughs) (laughs) All right. It was created by English photographer Henry Peach Robinson and was published in America as a woodcut reproduction the following year. Uh, We'll post the picture on the blog, but for any of you who are familiar with The Good Death, this is probably the picture you've seen. Uh, What's interesting, however, is that the photographer actually got a lot of flack in England when he created this photograph because people felt like it was vile, a a gross intrusion upon a private scene. This was supposed to be an intimate familial event, not one visible for the entire world. But many Victorian postmortem photos still fall within that framework because in those photos, the person's normally depicted in a state of sleep, looking perfectly restful, like they might wake up at any moment. 
Postmodern photography, or taking photographs of people after death, became more popular as the medium of photography grew and became cheaper and easier to produce. These photographs were performed as one of the services that a professional portrait photographer would do. Like portraiture, it was at first accomplished almost exclusively by the daguerreotype process. The daguerreotype was a small, highly detailed picture on polished silver. When it was first invented and introduced as a consumer good, it was an expensive luxury item that only the wealthy could afford. This quickly changed, however, throughout the 1840s as the number of photographers increased and the cost of daguerreotypes decreased. Cheaper modes of photography were introduced in the 1850s, as well as other forms of portraiture like the ambrotype, which was on glass, and the tintype, which was get this, printed on tin, um, <laughs> no. cheap metal. Yeah, and uh, photographs also started being printed on paper in the 1850s as well. By the 1860s, most everybody was uh, able to afford portrait photography at one point or another. Right, so this gets us into some of the myths surrounding Vit- Victorian postmortem photography. Uh, because let me tell you, there are some whoppers about these pictures out there on the web. Um I don't know. I'm a goth, right? So I've been seeing these pictures like on the interwebs for a while now. But, you know, if you're not familiar with these, just a quick Google search of Victorian morning photos or something like that will easily get you into the rabbit hole. But we are now going to put on our professor hats and be buzzkills and kind of slay some of these myths now, okay? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's take, for example... Um, the standing corpse photo. So this is a staple of uh, postmortem hoax sites, and there will usually be, you know, a bunch of children, and one of them looks kind of wonky, like, you know, her eyes rolled back into her head or something like that, but she's standing up just like the rest of the kids. So um, there will always be someone who says, hey, you can, you know, you can see there's the stand at her feet. That means that she's dead. Uh, but the family just had to get a photo of her, so they're all just, like, pretending that mm-hmm. she's not dead. Right. Um, but, you know, that's that's wrong. Um, usually that picture is just of a little kid who's acting like a little kid. (laughs) And, um, you know, if you go through my iPhone, you can see, you know, I have to take probably 10, 12, 15 photos to get one photo where both my kids' eyes are open and they don't look like they're, you know... Zombies. Zombies. Yeah, Yeah, basically. (laughs) Um, so, So that stand that you see that's visible in the background, it's literally just there to keep a squirmy kid from squirming all around right and um it obviously didn't work because a lot of times little kids are messing up their family photos anyway right yeah i mean there's i'm thinking of this one article it's like it's actually on the bbc website um talking about these postmortem photos and it is it's of four children the littlest girl is standing there her eyes are rolled back and they're claiming this is a postmortem so (laughs) this is a fairly common picture when you you know that we're explaining right now and that you see on these hoax sites and no it's just little missy's acting like a kid um so and one of the reasons that this can happen is you know at this time photography although we mentioned how it was uh you know moving and progressing quite along it was still in its early stages uh and it was a very tedious uh ordeal the camera shutter had to stay open for a very long time sometimes up to 30 minutes to get a clear shot so this is why you see a lot of blurry old-timey photos. If people move just in the slightest, you know, they took a deep breath, moved their head a little bit, the portrait was ruined. And sometimes the photographer wouldn't even know that the portrait was ruined until the film would, de- you know, was developed. Right. So at that point, he's just like, well, 
Well, Screw it. Whatever. Done. That person's gone <laughs> home now. All right. Um, so many photographers held people in place with a variety of stands, braces, and clamps. There's plenty of photographic evidence of these things being used on very alive people. Um, they were simply to help people stay in the position that were needed. They were needed to stay in for a long time. I mean, if you think about it, it would be really hard to just sit completely straight, especially if there's like you have your kids around you and stuff. I just can't even imagine yeah, how no. you could do that. So that that's one of the reasons why nobody is smiling in these old, you know, photographs. I mean, think of it like right now. You, you can't smile that long. Try to hold a smile for the, you know, the same smile for 30 minutes and not look like a weirdo. Like, it's not going to happen. No, yeah. So that's weird. why nobody's smiling. Uh, it, it's also a reason why a lot of people look dead. It's because they are literally bored to death. You're just sitting there staring at a box for like ever. Um, you know, they have to be perfectly still. And so that stillness translates onto film as a stiff, life, you know, lifeless body. Right, and I swear that I have read an article about this, about people perceiving Victorian portraiture um, as representative of Victorian life. Right. And that that's one of the reasons that everybody was so serious and mm. nobody did anything fun and everyone was sad all the time. Because in these photographs, they look like, you know, fucking yeah, life. Right. But really, it's just... it's Because just they were bored to death because right. they were having to sit there and not move. And, yeah. yeah. It's just a symptom of what photography was like at the exactly. time. Right. But no, say the internet hoaxers. Like, here's another example. Okay, so I'm going to explain to you this 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 other picture that a lot of people, um, you know, circulate. It's it's one of two teenage girls. Uh, one girl is sitting, one is standing, and the standing girl she looks very pretty. But what's going on with her hands? Look at her hands, um, and they are in a very weird, unnatural position. And and look closely. They are darker than the rest of her skin. See, this proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that she's dead. And then, you know, people go into this long discussion about how when a body is deceased, gravity forces the blood to pool in the lowest points, yada, yada, yada. And it all sounds really good and fine. It starts to make sense. But it's not true. The girl in the picture is very much alive. Sorry, no dead body looks that fresh. Her hands are normal. Yeah, maybe not in the most natural of positions, but they're normal. Um, the discoloration that you, you know, squinted so hard to see, it's, it's only lighting. Uh, remember, this is a black and white photo. But then they'll say, but wait, there's a visible brace in this one too. See, right there by her feet. That proves she's dead, right? Nope, sorry, it just proves that she had to stand for a super long time to get this photo, and the stand is helping her stay still. And she's really pretty in this picture, so I really doubt if she'd appreciate people claiming now <laughs> that she's, she's dead. Because she's, you know, like a like Because a this is the important part, <laughs> this girl's vanity. Um, but here's the nuts and bolts behind why the myth of the standing Victorian corpse photo isn't plausible. So first, a dead body is heavy, and gravity is literally working against it. Um, think about this. If there's no muscles firing in a body, think about the muscles of the face, particularly jaw muscles. When we're alive, we're firing our facial muscles constantly in order to keep our jaw shut. If we weren't, we would literally be walking around with our mouths just gaping open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so real world example here, I, I used to work at the morgue and when I worked at the morgue, that was always the thing that was most, uh, I guess, disturbing about, uh, decedents, um, even laying flat in a prone position, 
the jaw just does something weird when the body is deceased. It, it doesn't sit or hang naturally. The lips are parted in a way that isn't visually appealing. Um, like when you read something that says her lips were parted, you think, ooh, sexy. But no, this is it's di disturbingly parted. It's really disturbing. Okay, so you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah it's a, a strange thing. Okay. Yeah. Um, and usually the teeth are visible. Um, so it, you know, it's, it's hard to describe. It's like once one of those things, it's, it's like the smell. Um, it's a sickly sweet smell. And so once you've seen these things and smelled these things, like you instantly know that, right. that it's death. Right. Yeah. So they, they're hard to describe, but and they're I think, very um, part of that facial expression is like, you know, that it's, that it is a, it's a movement of the mouth or it's like what a face would look like. And you know, that, a person would never want their face to look like right, that. Right, so, right, So, like, right. you know, no one, no one's ever holding their face like that on purpose. Right, right. right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you think when you, if you, like, you, everyone does a mirror face, you know, so when you're in front of a mirror, you, like, Lift do a face. face. Yeah. <laughs> you do some kind of face. And then, you know, if you're just walking around and you accidentally come in front of a mirror, you don't expect. You're like, shit, that's me. Because you <laughs> aren't used to it because it's not, not your mirror face. face. You're right. not doing, you weren't prepared. Um. But that's how you know. You know, nobody would ever do that on purpose. Um, so so in these pictures, um, if the standing person were deceased, um, there would have been something around the person's face holding the jaw up. Um, otherwise, they were just standing there with their jaw gaping open. You know, I think, now I think they use glue a lot on the lips to actually keep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. then their lips and look that's, stretched or whatever. Right. And that's just too. one example. I mean, the neck wouldn't hold up. Like, nothing. Right. It's literally a like, right. rag doll. Exactly. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, your your internet hoaxer will say, okay, but what about rigor mortis, right? That's what keep that's what is keeping this person upright. Um, fair enough. Rigor mortis sets in two to six hours after death, and it takes about six to 12 hours to spread throughout the whole body. So from there, um, it can last another eight to 18 hours. All of this really depends on the person's physiology, their age, sex, health. Probably in the environment where their body is, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all kinds of things. Yeah, and it's been a while since I worked at the morgue, so I was kind of double checking myself when I was making this copy. I wanted to make sure that I had my timing right, uh, correct. Um, and I found a couple of sources that say rigor could last from one to four days. I personally don't know about that. I guess maybe under certain certain circumstances that might be true. Um, I have personally worked with hundreds of decedents and have never had anyone in rigor for that long. So I don't know. Um, but once a body is in full rigor mortis, they are really stuck, right? So one of my jobs at the morgue was to prep decedents for autopsy, and that meant that I had to undress them. Um, if a body was in full rigor, I would have to, quote, break the rigor to move arms, legs, or whatever to get them undressed. Now, I didn't actually break their bones or anything like that, but it definitely took some, some muscle on my part to move them. Um, massaging could help, but it also required some really manual force. And I'm, I don't want to be crass here. This was always done with the most utmost respect. I don't want anybody freaking out about a loved one going and having an autopsy or anything. I'm just saying this so so you know it. It is a very hard being in rigor, especially full rigor, is really hard. It feels like they're solid. So we're telling you this just to show um, that in rigor, the muscles are hard and stuck, which is. Um, which theoretically could make the standing corpse photo work. But in reality, most people don't die with their arms and legs in perfect position to look normal while standing. You may have an arm sticking straight out or your knees may be slightly bent, etc. 
And not to mention, um, those little stands that you sometimes see peeking out of those photos, they're way too small to hold up a completely dead weight of 100 pounds or more. Right, right. So sometimes decedents were photographed standing up, but that was done almost exclusively by law enforcement, right? So if you see a postmortem photograph of somebody standing with a with a, a stand, more than likely that person or that person is alive. Let's just say that. Um, but there were obviously p- pictures of people standing up. Those would be taken by law enforcement. Um, those in those cases, a body would be strapped into a special chair or against like a cooling board. Um, and so that type of photograph would be taken like by forensic photographers or perhaps newspaper photographers, um, you know, to, to prove that like a criminal is dead or something oh, okay. like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and in case you're still not convinced, um, scholars have scoured photographers notes and papers in the 19th century um, about and, and they've looked into how they've conducted their photography businesses. Um, so here's Jay Ruby, an expert on Victorian postmortem photography. He found that none of his sources included posing the dead to appear standing or in a quote, just hanging out kind of pose. Um, instead, he found that a picture um, of a deathbed was popular. If the family was included, sometimes photographers created a good death scene with the family displaying subtle grief. One photographer wrote in 1873, When I began to take pictures 20 or 30 years ago, I had to make pictures of the dead. We had to go out then more than we do now, and this is a matter that is not easy to manage, but if you work carefully over the various difficulties, you will learn very soon how to take pictures of dead bodies, arranging them just as you please. The way I did was just to have them dressed and laid on the sofa, just lay them down as if they were in a sleep. Uh, So Jay Ruby found no examples or evidence of photographers posing or moving dead bodies to make them look alive. Now, um, there are a few instances where bodies are made to look alive, but um, these are rare and not very convincing. Um, There are a few instances of eyes being painted either on the body itself or on the photograph after development, but these are very rare and far between and aren't very convincing. In fact, these may have more to do with certain ethnic cultural practices uh, than an example of Victorian culture as a whole. And just a couple of other myths to address. This other one is called the invisible or hidden mother. And these are pictures of children, live children, who are sitting on what looks to be a person covered with a sheet. And that is exactly what these pictures are. Um, So remember how long we said the shutter speed was, right? Could be up to 30 minutes. If you've ever been around a child, you know that they don't sit still for 30 minutes. So one way to get a picture of your little crumb snatcher was to sit down, get covered with a sheet, and act like a chair, and then have your little darling sit in your lap while the picture was taken. So the presumably mom, it could have been the dad, I guess, um, is there. You know, she makes the, the kid feel safe, um, but she's also holding them or bracing them. Um, These pictures are funny, and some are done better than others. Um, Some, the mom is literally holding the kid's head, like, on either side, like, facing his head forward. Um, I've seen another one where a child is standing on a pedestal, and, like, somebody is literally standing behind a curtain holding the kid's head straight, so you just see these arms, like, reaching out. That's creepy. (laughs) so funny. (laughs) Um, So sometimes... Um, these pictures circulate and people say, oh, see, that mom's actually dead. And this picture is showing that the kid's mom is dead. Um, or that these pictures are the momentum mori because they're showing um, the dead, 
death can come any minute. And that's why mom, or, or dad, I guess, you can't really tell, um, is covered up. Um, it's symbolism. Creepy. Nope. Uh, not really. It was just a cheap way to get squirmy kids to sit for a photograph, and some photographers pulled it off better than, than others. Yeah. Yeah, some of them are really well done, and you can't, you can hardly tell. Like, it's it's pretty hard to tell that there's a human, like, mm-hmm. behind Yeah, some of the them, drape. like, you, you really, yeah, they do. They look like a big armchair or something. And yeah, so you it, can see what they're going for. Yeah. And then yeah. other ones, it looks like somebody playing Halloween ghost dress up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but we have some examples on the blog as well, so check that out. Uh, another myth floating around is uh, that photography was so expensive that people would only um, photograph their relatives after they were dead. And this wasn't the case. As mentioned previously, photography became less and less expensive as the century wore on. Um, so in some instances, this may have been true early in the century. It definitely wasn't so later in the century. Most people probably had a picture of their loved one living and dead by the 1870s or later. Most Victorian postmodern photography displays the decedent as sleeping or lying restfully. Um, some are in a couch or a bed. Oftentimes children are in a small coffin, and many are surrounded by flowers. Remember, these were taken as a way to hold on to the memory of someone special who had died. So no matter how much creepiness we ascribe to them now, these pictures are full of love and sentimental sadness, and they were perceived as such at the time right right Uh, a quick ebay search will show you that there is a strong market for these photos and apparently no shortage of them for sale many of the photos aren't really post-mortem i did a quick search before this i saw one on ebay of a little girl playing with a doll and she's obviously sitting up and playing but her eyes were shut and therefore the seller was calling her dead Um, but there are also a lot of real ones on ebay too The collecting of these types of photos has exploded since the advent of the internet. The Thanatos Archive, which houses about 2,000 of these pictures, will let you look at them for a subscription fee. Uh, The Burns Archive is another private collection, uh, which houses some postmortem photography as well. So yes, uh, Victorian postmortem photography was a very real and special thing. And there are plenty of legitimate and sentimental postmortem photographs to be found. We just want to remind you that Victorians weren't that different from us, really. And I have to say that, um, you know, this sort of thing has never really creeped me out. I know I have some friends who are um, in the business of taking photographs and making art for um, stillborn babies. Mm -hmm. And I know that there is kind of a big market out there, not for random people, but for families who have a stillborn child or a child who dies shortly after birth. Um, they'll have a photographer come and take mm-hmm. pictures of them holding the baby, things like that. And when you think of it that way, it makes perfect sense. I mean, if you think of a modern person, you wouldn't think it was that weird if somebody wanted pictures with their mm-hmm. deceased child. You would think, oh, that's so sad, and I, you know, I understand they want that memory. But that's because they're modern people. But when we look back and Victorians are doing it, there's automatically something weird about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think part of that is just an artifact of, how weird or how hard it was to take photographs at the time. Oh, People just right. standing there like this, okay, and right. it's because of I how hard it was. Saying. Right, so photographs just, old photographs just look creepy. Right. In general. Right. Um, even if the photograph a photograph of the same thing Today now. would, right. No, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, so my, what would she have been? She was my grandmother's sister, so I guess like my great aunt. Um, she had one of those old box cameras, like, and she took a family portrait of us one time with it, and so... Um, it was a, I don't know, like a 
seven by seven box essentially it had a little hole on the front and she was looking inside and we had to stand outside because it was the only place bright enough and we literally had to stand there for like 10 minutes while she took this picture um, oh my and i remember and i was like maybe seven i just remember like oh my god i'm gonna die i'm gonna die like <laughs> I don't know. and i remember they got it uh you know, they they got the film done, and yeah, we were all just like completely blurry because I mean, even yeah. the grown ups, you know, looked weird because everybody's just standing there. And so, well, it makes you think like, how are we going to be perceived? Uh, you know, a couple hundred years from now, oh, totally weird. based on our photographs. Oh yeah, you know, like people will be like, food and- yeah, why did this person take a picture with their Pizza Hut? Yeah. That must have been a sacred activity. Yeah, it's like <laughs> this chick just wanted you to see her lunch. Yeah, so it's like, yeah. <laughs> It just makes me wonder about yeah, that, you know? Um, and I also, I, I don't personally think it's that strange to photograph um, dead loved ones. I think if you really love someone, it's really hard to let them go, to mm-hmm. let their body go even. Yeah. Even though you know that it's not quite them, it's just their remains. You There's a, you know, it's just really hard. It's remembrance. Um, yeah, exactly. And yeah. I, so I totally understand. And I even, I'm one of those weirdos who would totally love to be cremated and then have my ashes turned into a diamond. A diamond. I, my kids wear. Yes. That seems badass. I yeah. Feel like, yeah, totally. totally. Most people think that's the most bizarre thing, mm-hmm. but I right. I totally get it. Mm-hmm. Or people, um, sometimes people's ashes are put underneath a tree and then a tree is planted on top of them mm-hmm. and they kind of like, you know, give their bodies the are, yeah, their bodies are brought yeah. back to, back to life. I'm going to be donated to the body farm. What? In San Marcos. So yeah. you're just going to rot away in some forest somewhere? Yes. Well, okay. grad students poke at me. Sounds like a dignified end. <laughs> to be dissected? Yeah, or they, you know, do, they, they do different things people. to see how the body does in certain environments or whatever so that they can teach people who are doing autopsies and forensic anthropologists and all that kind of jazz. They need to learn. Yeah, they need to learn. That's true. But it is so strange, I think, when you know the person. Yeah. I can't imagine. Well, on that note, thank you for listening. Yeah, uh, please, on that cheery note. Yeah, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribing is completely free, and it will mean that you will never miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a review while you're at it. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest at dig underscore history. So uh, we'll see you there. Bye. <laughs> Why are you typing in here? What the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> She slips away surrounded by loved ones. Too long. <laughs> <laughs>